Well, this morning we continue our series on uh, just ten, the Ten Commandments, and we've been going through them in reverse order following the uh, teaching of J. John. So I just want to say right at this point, thank you to J. John for all the teaching you've brought and uh, helping us uh, preachers as we prepare our, our sermons. I want to acknowledge him this morning. And so we've already looked, I kicked off the first week with Do Not Covet, and then Boz the second week talked to us about Do Not Bear False Testimony, and then last week Pete talked to us about do not steal. And this week we move on to do not commit adultery. And one of the things I've um, been talking a bit uh, with people about the Ten Commandments is they are often do nots, okay? And we don't like do nots, do we, in our culture? We kind of speak in nuance, and when we're trying to talk to children, we kind of often uh, give them, offer them the positive um, rather than the negative. And I uh, just want to speak into that really and say, actually, the Ten Commandments um, were written into a certain culture and a certain understanding, but they are, I believe, just as relevant today as they were in the Old Testament. Some people also kind of talk about the Old Testament and say, well, it's the Old Testament. It no longer has relevance uh, for us to today. And again, I want to say that it does have relevance, um, but some of it is reinterpreted in light of the teaching of Jesus and so just think that's really important as we approach Old Testament texts that we see it in light of Jesus. But nonetheless, the Ten Commandments have a real application for today. And I think what J. John does really well, the Ten Commandments, is that he really brings them to life in our society and culture today. A story for us. There was a man who was convinced his wife was having an affair. He thought, I'm going to catch her. So he thought, I'm going to leave work early, get to the apartment, So he leaves work early and gets to the apartment. He smells around and he smells cigar smoke. A bit of anger begins to surface within him. He goes into the apartment, looks around the apartment. Nobody. He goes to the balcony. He looks over the balcony and sees a man getting into his sports car. The anger within him explodes and becomes rage. He goes back into the apartment. He goes into the kitchen. He looks at the fridge He has an idea. He grabs hold of the fridge, pulls it over, pulls it to the balcony, lifts it up, and as he lifts it up, the lead of the fridge got tangled around his leg. The fridge went over, he went over, smash onto the sports car. End of scene one. Scene two, the next life. Peter says to the man, to the next man, Why should we let you in? I was trying to save my marriage. I love my wife. Peter says, it's all right, chill out. We know about marriage up here. Peter says to the second man, why should we let you in? I bought a newspaper. I got into my sports car. I was reading the paper and a fridge fell on me. Peter says, we understand all about the innocent bystander. Don't worry about it. Peter said to the third man, what are you doing in that fridge? Marriage can be a very casual fling or it can be an intense affair of which films and novels are made. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you watch a film, though, there's never celebrated in those films a deep, committed, long-term marriage relationship. It's often filled with quick affairs. It's surrounded by music and narratives that seek to make it okay. But they brush away the deceit, the betrayal, and the ugliness. 
Sex outside of marriage is like pulling bricks out from the base of a wall. And then to find the wall comes tumbling down. King David in the Bible is a classic example of this. He lusted after Bathsheba. And within weeks, his adultery had driven him to lie, scheme, plot, and murder Bathsheba's husband. David's little indiscretion turned out to have vast repercussions. I'm sure we've all seen the impact that adultery can have. Even when forgiven, it can leave scars. The book of Proverbs teaches us how to live wisely. Interestingly, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, and incidentally, if uh, you're not sure what to read one morning when you're reading the Bible, whenever you read it, um, 31 chapters, just take the day of the month it is and read that chapter. 31 chapters, so over a a month you could read all uh, 31 chapters. But in Proverbs... Chapters 4 to 7 are all about adultery. Proverbs 6, verses 27 to 29 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not be burned? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. Playing with adultery is playing with fire. Proverbs 6, 32 says, Whoever commits adultery is an utter fool, for they destroy their own soul. Adultery hurts, it shatters trust and severs friendship. Marriage is about giving, adultery is about taking. It degrades people, destroys families, defiles marriage and defies God. The seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. God says no to adultery because adultery is a sin against marriage. Jesus, when talking about biblical marriage, said, God made them male and female. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. Adultery breaks into the unity that two people have in marriage. Now this morning you may be thinking, well I don't need to hear this message, I've never committed adultery, I'm not committing adultery at the moment. But listen to these words coming from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 29. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. So Jesus is uh, quoting the Old Testament law here, but obviously then uh, is reinterpreting it in light of grace. And this is what he says, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Very strong words, aren't they? Does anyone feel left out? Jesus says it's even if we think lustfully about someone else. A married couple were in a shop while the wife was looking at an item. An attractive woman walked by. The husband's eyes followed her. The wife, without even looking up, said, was it worth the trouble you're now in? 
Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Do you think Jesus is suggesting this morning we all need to go away and gouge out our eyes if we thought about another, uh, someone else other than our spouse? I don't think so. I think Jesus is using hyperbole here. And what he's saying is we need to take drastic action in our lives where we're falling into something that could lead us to something else. And when I speak in that way, what I'm saying is that our, we need to watch our thoughts because they become words. We need to watch our words because they can become our actions. We need to watch our actions because they can become our habits. And we need to watch our habits because they become our character. And Jesus gives us lots of teaching, the Apostle Paul does, on our thoughts and how we, uh, what, we, what we do with our thoughts in order to protect our actions. And this isn't about trying to constrict us or constrain us. It's trying to give us life and life in all its fullness, as, John, as Jesus talks about in John 10.10. 10. Jesus called lust adultery of the heart. If we don't turn away from it in our hearts, it will eventually consume us. And if we encourage it with sexually stimulating films, books, magazines, or social settings, fantasy will turn into reality. So I want to say, be quite challenging this morning, say to anyone here this morning who is in um, an adulterous relationship, please stop it. Please stop it for your own sake and the sake of the person that you're with, for families, for friends. In, if we read Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, All of us are dirty with sin. If you've fallen into adultery, there is a prayer in the Bible in Psalm 51 that can really help us. And so this is about restoring us and enabling us, not constraining us. And, and we've got this great picture in Psalm 51 from David who had fallen into adultery. And he says this, Create in me a clean heart. This is a man who had committed adultery, had committed murder. And he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And the words he uses here imply a thorough scrubbing. David says, I've got myself dirty. I've been messing with some things I shouldn't have been messing with, and I'm covered with dirt. I need you to clean me. That's the, the cry of David's heart. And God, in his mercy, in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness, he forgave David. When we read uh, the story, the wonderful story in uh, John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery, the Pharisees wanted to judge her. But let's listen to what Jesus does. The Pharisees say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? All right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Jesus said to her, Where are your accusers now? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus responds with these wonderful words. Neither do I. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And we have this wonderful picture where Jesus encapsulates both forgiveness, grace, and truth. He doesn't say, oh, that's just okay. Just get on with your life. He recognizes the sin, but he also empowers her. He releases her. He forgives her. 
He gives her the grace she needs to live a better way. And in the Gospels, we have 17 different instances where Jesus forgave a person and showed mercy. Jesus was a man of compassion, mercy, grace, and a man of truth. What I really want to talk about this morning is not about uh, adultery, uh, it's not about divorce, but what I really want to talk about is how we can be empowered to a fair proof our relationships, to think about how we can guard our relationships. Uh, Agatha Crispy, Crispy? Christie, <laughs> Agatha Christie said, an archaeologist is the best husband any woman can have. The older she gets the more interested in her he is. (laughs) Interesting one. This morning, I want to talk about how we can maintain interest in our marriage relationships. And I'm aware this morning that there will be people here who are married, some may be uh, divorced, separated, others who are single. And I just want to say that actually at St. James, I want us to have a really strong value on valuing marriage. And so actually there's something about the whole body of the church getting behind this and honouring it and supporting it. So if you're feeling this morning, well, is this message really for me? I just want to say actually at St. James, it's really important that we value marriage. Um, uh, Some other point I may or get someone else to speak about singleness and the value of singleness in the Christian faith because actually there's a real strength to that. I think sometimes in the church people who are single can feel left to one side, but I want to say actually singleness is a really important Um, aspect of Christian faith and actually if I look at many of the great giants of Christian faith they were single people I think of someone today Mike Pilavachi who pioneered Soul Survivor does an amazing work for Soul Survivor and he may not have been able to do all that had he had uh, a wife uh, and and a family so just really want to encourage us that there's there's a plethora of how this works out but this morning we're particularly focusing on uh, marriage and so there are four things I want us to think about this morning when we think about marriage and how we can build those relationships. Some of these qualities don't just, are not just confined to marriage, but I think they are essential aspects of marriage, but I think we can apply them to other relationships as well. And so the first of those is respect. Respect. Love is built on the foundation of mutual respect. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 says, Every husband must love his wife as himself, and every wife must respect her husband. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. If you think you've got a perfect marriage this morning, please come and talk to me this morning. I'd love to get some advice from you. It's no, no marriage is perfect for the simple reason that every marriage is the union of two imperfect people. A happy marriage is not so much about how compatible you are, but how you deal with incompatibility. Isn't that so true? You know, I recognize in my marriage, you know, Ali and I are so different. If you've done Myers-Briggs, we are polar opposites in Myers-Briggs. But I praise God we've got a really great marriage and uh, we have to work through many differences. But actually, the the, the seeming incompatibility is not about incompatibility. It's about building a stronger marriage, growing together in your relationship. And one of the key things uh, in marriage is communication. Communication, communication, communication. It's about how we honour one another with our words, how we talk to one another, what we think we've said and realising actually we said something completely different in the ear of the person we've spoken to. Are we talking enough? Are we talking too much? There's so many different aspects um, to communication. 
but it's something that we have to work at, and certainly uh, I have to work at that in my marriage, and um, Ali will know that I have to work at that in our marriage. Um, but all of us are, are, are weak and flawed, and we have to work at things in our relationships. But here are five things that are really helpful as we think about um, communication in our marriage. Try and have these five different aspects of communication. Small talk, serious talk, self-talk, soul talk, and sweet talk. Do we get all those? Makes sense, doesn't it? Just thinking about all those different things. You need a sense of fun and the kind of day-to-day interaction, but you also need that serious talk where you actually address issues and work through things that need to be worked through. A self-talk, where you actually talk about yourself. It's okay to talk about yourself and good to share life. That's part of sharing in marriage. Um, Soul talk, you know, talking about those deep things uh, in your life, that kind of soul connection. And then sweet talk, well, I'll leave your imaginations to that. Uh, but, But we need all those things. Um, in our marriages. We need to cultivate those. We also need to learn to say these four uh, phrases. Um, And they're really hard to say, but I want to say, let's work on these. Let's persevere at them. The first one is, I was wrong. (laughs) Second one is, I am sorry. And I'd add to that one, I forgive you. Because sometimes someone can say sorry, but we leave them in the lurch. If someone says sorry to you, say to them, I forgive you if you're able to, if you feel able to. Next one is, I don't know. I find that quite hard to say when Ali asked me to fix something. Um, And the fourth one is, I need help. I need help. Sometimes we get to a stage, maybe in our relationship, in our marriage relationship, actually where things are are really difficult. We get to the point and say, actually, guys, we need some help here. Maybe that's from your friends or your church family, or maybe it's from a counsellor. There was once a lectured, lecture advertised how to make your wife treat you like a king. Obviously, the lecture theatre was packed full of men. The speaker was introduced. He walked up to the podium and said, Well, gentlemen, you obviously want to know the answer to this very profound question. How to make your wife treat you like a king? And the answer is very simple treat her like a queen wonderful uh, illustration isn't it number two next few are shorter is responsibility be responsible be, be more interested in fixing the problem than fixing the blame we live in a blame culture don't we where we're always trying to put it on someone but actually, we've got to take responsibility, and this is in life generally, but particularly in our marriages, we've got to take responsibility for our own actions, and not only our own actions, but actually our responsibility in keeping the marriage relationship committed and strong and unified. And sometimes that means swallowing our pride, even if we think we are right, saying the right thing in the wrong way can make it wrong. The major problem in many marriages is selfishness. What is this marriage for me? How can it serve my needs? We've got to take responsibility. The third point is romance. If there was more courting in marriage, J. John says, there would be fewer fewer marriages in court. One writer imagines the conversation between Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. Eve asked Adam, do you love me? Adam looked around and said, who else? (laughs) 
But perhaps this is what he should have said. You are the only girl in the world for me. I don't know if you remember back, uh, for those of us who are married, uh, remember back to those initial stages in, in our courting when we were um, getting to know one another. Um, do you remember how kind you were? How you put on your best? Uh, and, and how it, sometimes it's easy for us to lose that. But there's a great verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her. And we can reverse that round as well the other way uh, for wives and their husbands. Make sure your marriage is fun. You know, our marriage relationships are supposed to be fun. There's supposed to be a lightheartedness and enjoyment. One book in the Bible is a manual on romantic sexual love. Did you know that? There's a whole book of the Bible about sex, basically. If you didn't realize that, read the book of Song, Song of Songs. And uh, there's a great resource there for us as uh, followers of Christ. Um, just be careful. You may need to contextualize some of it. Uh, you may not want to use the, the phrase, oh, my dear wife, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Um, that, was a, that was a great compliment, apparently, in the, uh, in the ancient world. Um, I've never used that on Ali. I'd be pleased to know. But, you know, the Bible celebrates sexual love, and so often we cannot talk about sex in the church. We kind of put it side to side. But it's all over the TV. It's in the movies. It's out there in the culture. We need to talk about it, but in a way that comes under the authority of Scripture. And God created sex. He created it for our enjoyment and for procreation. And uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, the husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. So that's the third one. The fourth one is resolve. Resolve. A firm commitment and faithfulness. Again, commitment is one of those words we're not so au fait with these days, are we, in our culture? We like the, the quick fix and just kind of committing enough to get what we want and then we can retreat away, not just in relationships but all manner of different things. But actually there's something about us being committed to one another. And our mission statement as a church is to make committed followers of Jesus. And to be a committed follower of Jesus is not just about coming to church on a Sunday or saying a quick prayer here and there. It's about cultivating a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And marriage is the same. It's a place where we need to develop and cultivate our relationships. I like what one couple did on their wedding day. They decided to each light a candle and then take their candle and to light a bigger candle. And then they blew out their own candles. And they did this to symbolize no more old flames. That, that commitment to actually uh, love and care for one another. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Guard yourself, remain loyal to your wife. A wonderful story of commitment uh, of one husband to his wife. There was a principal of a theological college and his wife Muriel developed uh, Alzheimer's disease and her health degenerated to the point where he could not take care of her and be the principal as well. At the age of 59, he decided to give up his position and his career. His colleagues could not believe it. You know, what are you doing? They said to him, she doesn't even know who you are. 
He replied, she might not know who I am, but I know who she is. She is the woman I made a promise to. Until death, us do part. I don't have to care for her, I get to. What a wonderful response to such a hard situation. The Book of Common Prayer, uh, the words that are used in the marriage service. You know, often I marry people and we use these words. Many of you may have used these words. And we accept our spouses, and these are the words that are used to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. Those words are not just poetry. They flow, they're wonderful words, but they are not just words. That is a deep, deep commitment that we make in our marriage vows. Let's stick to those vows. Let's commit to them, not just superficially, but on a deep, deep level. I just want to make it really clear this morning that I'm not suggesting any way that marriage is easy. It's not. Like many things in life, you really have to work at it. And sometimes it goes through lots of pain and sorrow. But actually marriage is a wonderful thing when it's deeply rooted in love, self-giving love for one another. Uh, But even more so for us as Christians as we root that in the love of God. The kind of commitment God is talking about means that when you hit a difficulty in your marriage, you make a decision to face it and carry on together. I love the uh, picture that uh, Leonardo da Vinci paints um, in these words. An An arch consists of two weaknesses which, leaning against one another, make a strength. So there we have it, those four words. Respect, responsibility, romance, and resolve. But I think the starting point for all of us is to recognize that we're in need of God, that we cannot do this by ourselves that we need him to help us. Some of us uh, may need restoration. And this is a safe place at St. James where we can journey together, where we can experience God's healing, where we can grow together. Some of us uh, may have issues in our marriage and, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Many, many of us have had those or will have those in the future, but it's how we decide to respond to those, whether we decide to work through them and build a stronger marriage. But I want to finish by saying that whether this morning you are married, divorced, widowed, or single, you are being proposed to by God. Every page of the Bible is a proposal to you. Jesus is proposing to you. An invitation to be adopted into his family as a son or a daughter. God is love. He wants the best for you. God doesn't show his love to us by sending a poem or dropping a bunch of red roses onto our doorstep. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He shows he cares not by a poem, but through cries of agony and excruciating pain. It's not champagne he drinks, but bitter wine. He doesn't bear roses in his arms, 
but a crown of thorns wedged on his head. He doesn't bathe us in five fine-smelling perfume, but saves us through sweat and blood. God's proposal was nailed to a cross, and he did it for us. That is true love. The way we resist the temptation to infidelity is to root our single life or our marriage in the rich soil of God's love. So a question for us, have we accepted Jesus' proposal to us? Have we said yes to Jesus? Maybe we're saying, yes, we have, maybe we haven't, or maybe, yes, we did a long time ago, but there's not much I've done about it since. Well, this morning, Jesus is asking you, will you respond to me? Also, I want to challenge us. Are we in an adulterous relationship or are we on the road to one? I encourage you to bring that before the throne of God this morning if you are. You know, David records how he felt during the time he tried to cover up his adultery. He says in Psalm 32, when I kept things to myself, I felt sick deep inside me. I moaned all day long. This morning, do you need God's forgiveness and healing for inappropriate relationships in the past? Or maybe you have addictions, pornography, or other things which need breaking. Does your marriage need reviving? Are you struggling with being single, a single parent, or widowed? Can we bring that before God this morning? Because if we can't do it in church, where can we do it? We're called to be real before him and honest about the difficult situations we find ourselves in. Let's stand together as we bring ourselves before God. I realized this morning that what I've talked about is some really deep stuff. And I think when we talk about deep stuff, it can bring lots of emotions and uh, difficulties uh, in in how we process through some of this stuff. And I I just want to say I want to honor that, and I don't want anyone to feel they need to do anything that they feel um, is out of their comfort zone this morning, if they feel that's inappropriate. But I do want to challenge us and encourage all of us to respond in our hearts to God in the appropriate way. And for some of us this morning, that might be just simply saying, God, I open my heart to you and I acknowledge that I need more of you in my life. <laughs> I pray that every day. Uh, but, but that might be the simple first step or it may be actually you want to come forward for some prayer ministry. Or it might be that actually over the next weeks you need to connect with a Christian friend who you can really talk through some of, us, some of this with us.